0: Your potential in life is limited by your ability to act on those potentials, right? So you, you if you have the energy to do things, to execute on your goals, is that's the majority of the battle. When you feel like you're tired and it's difficult for you to process um, any, any questions or challenges that you have in the day, you're much more likely to give up and not move forward and achieve mm-hmm. your goals.
1: Hi, I'm Dr. Morgan Nolte, founder of Zivli. As a geriatric physical therapist, I saw the heartbreaking effects of insulin resistance. At Zivli, our mission is to help you prevent and reverse insulin resistance for long term weight loss and disease prevention through a low insulin and inflammation lifestyle. Each week on this podcast, you'll learn simple, actionable tips to lose weight, keep it off, and get healthy if you're ready to create a body and life you love, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the reshape your health podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Morgan Nolte. And today we're just having a super casual, fun conversation with Justin Richard. Um, not, I don't really have a bio to share with you. I just found him on Instagram and I really liked his stuff. And he's posting really interesting content. I, his Instagram handle is just right here. If you're watching on YouTube, kind of right by his name, or we'll link it in the podcast description. And he just posts picture like videos of him testing his blood sugar and then having a food and then testing his blood sugar again, and then trying different little blood sugar hacks. Like, well, does it matter the order of food that you eat? Or does it matter having a salad before you eat or apple cider vinegar? Like does, is all of this just like Fads or does it actually do anything? Um, and he's all about bringing practical, sustainable eating habits and eating strategies to people to help them control their blood sugar. So, Justin, let's just start with kind of a brief introduction of who who are you, where do you live, what do you do for actual work, um, and then how did you get interested in posting on Instagram?
0: Yeah, thank you. First off, thank you for having me on your podcast.
1: Yeah, I'm so excited.
0: So I started out with this whole thing. I'm I'm 51 years old now, and about three years ago, I started experiencing some symptoms that uh, I wasn't sure what they were. I had a little neuropathy in the hands and feet that would come and go, so tingling, numbness in the hands and feet, um, brain fog, difficulty concentrating, very, very tired throughout the day, just a lack of energy overall. And after eating, I would get so tired it would be common for me to need to have a nap. I just couldn't continue on without having a nap. So and it was getting out of hand and I thought, what's going on here? I had been going to my family doctor, getting my A1C done. I should note as well too that I've got a history of type two diabetes in my family. So I was kind of on alert with that. You know, I kind of figured that I have to start watching that, giving given that I'm over 50 now, and these symptoms were coming in. I was also getting like skin issues, like darkening around the creases of the. So I started researching these symptoms and it was coming up. Insulin resistance was one of the, you know, key kind of likelihood that this might be. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to be proactive with this and I'm going to get a continuous glucose monitor and I'm going to monitor my blood sugar. And there are different companies out that like are catering to people who are trying to optimize their health with these glucose monitors. So I reached out to some of them. I I tried one and then uh, a couple of other companies reached out to me. Um, And my the idea here was for me to get a grip on my blood sugar so I can prevent type two diabetes or slipping into type two diabetes. Uh, and that's what kind of got me involved with it. Uh, I have family members. My mom is type two. Aunts and uncles are type two, and some of them have passed on due to complications from that. Uh, so I'm so I'm aware of the of the prevalence in my family, and I'm also aware of the prevalence throughout the world. I mean, type two diabetes, insulin resistance, pre diabetes, is rampant. It's out of control, and just keeps climbing year after year. Uh, so that's what got me involved with this. And when I started testing my blood sugar, it was a real eye-opener. I realized what was happening for me. And there are a number of different things that I've learned from that. I started the channel because I just wanted to document my way through this and possibly share any of the insights that I came across. I'm just a regular guy with a glucose monitor. And I'm really about finding practical ways that I can stick with to manage my blood sugar. There's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of contradictory information out there. Um, and I don't dive too deeply into the science. I do check before I do these tests and make sure that there is science behind it. And I, I look at the Coles notes of these studies. You know, I don't actually read the full studies, um, but I do look at the results of them. Uh, before I do any of these tests so I know I don't want to be misleading anybody and I don't want to mislead myself and go down a road where I'll regret that later on so I do a little bit of research and then I do the tests but I'm really about finding things that I can stick with and that other people can stick with as well
1: I think one of the coolest things about what you're doing is you're doing things that people who are really trying to lose weight or trying to improve their health may not be willing to do. Because in a sense, you're the Guinea pig. You're the one eating the whole chocolate bar. You're the one eating all the pizza. You're the one eating the white bread. You're the one that's exposing yourself to these blood sugar spikes at the benefit of other people watching. And so I just wanted to acknowledge you for that because as someone who really works hard to develop and maintain a healthy lifestyle, I can tell that like, you're kind of balancing two things here, right? Like you're balancing preventing diabetes yourself, but then you're also having to feed yourself these foods that would be contributing to diabetes if you didn't modify other lifestyle things, which I know you have. And so I just wanted to acknowledge you for like walking that fine line and being the, the Instagram Guinea pig for everyone interested in learning how foods affect their blood sugar. Um, Have you ever thought about that or
0: what are your thoughts? Yeah. And, and, and I do get a lot of comments of people saying, Hey, thank you for doing this and please be careful, watch yourself. And I am aware of that, that I'm kind of doing stuff that I shouldn't be doing. I do try to limit the amount of spikes that I have every day. And I look at it this way. I compare it to the way things were before I got my continuous glucose monitor and I was spiking. I have a, a, a pretty bad sweet tooth and I constantly ate sugar and baked goods. I like treats like cookies and muffins and all of that stuff. So if I look at what I'm doing now and the frequency of which I'm spiking my sugar, I'm much better off now than I was before. Um, And I'm conscious of it now. And I'm monitoring how much this blood sugar spike is going up. So it it isn't um, entirely a good thing what I'm doing, but I am aware of it and I am trying to limit the amount of spikes that I have. So I am much better off. So,
1: yeah. And when we had connected before you said you were using intermittent fasting, um, can you just kind of explain to people listening, what is your process? Cause I asked you, I was like, are you doing this every day? Are you, how are you doing this type of content? So can you just explain to people what your routine is like every day?
0: Yeah, that's a very good question. So my, my regular protocol with this is I always try to get my, um, I always want to test on an on an even playing field, so for example, if I do a series I'm in the middle of a series right now where I'm testing plain white bread, previously frozen white bread previously frozen white bread that has been toasted to see if there's any difference and there's some info online about all of these things so today I'm doing the previously frozen and toasted so that's three days in a row where I'm having two pieces of white bread and I want to even out that um the the variables, so the protocol is kind of conducive to having like, I want it, I want it to be, uh, it's not a scientific test by any means, but I want to try and even out those variables as much as I can. So here's the protocol. I wake up and I, I don't have anything other than water. Around noon, I will try my first, uh, I will have my test and I'll eat whatever I'm, whatever I'm going to eat like toast. And that's after a 16 hour fast. So every time I do this test, it's after a 16-hour fast. I do a 16-8 fast, intermittent fasting uh, protocol. So, um, and then after I eat, I sit at my desk and I'll edit the first portion of the video and I'll wait and I'll do some other work just so there's no activity that may influence that blood sugar uh, reaction as well too. So I try to, to, um, you know, make those variables as consistent as possible so the test results are as even as i can get there are a lot more factors than that involved with the with the blood sugar but um i find that you know by by fasting and eating everything on an empty stomach and sitting not doing activity Mm -hmm. it's a pretty good uh representation of what's going on for me at least but by no means is this scientific kind of (laughs) I, i just try to get as accurate as i can
1: and it helps, you know, because we do know that moving after you eat will reduce the blood sugar response. So, you, if you want to be accurate as, as accurate as you can, you can't. And so, that's another way. It's just like kudos to you for, you know, all, in a way, sacrificing your optimal level of health that you could be having if you weren't doing these experiments. But sure. I think it's wonderful that you're looking at the gains of, well, it's a lot better than what I was doing before. And I'm helping people yeah. doing it. And, um, have you noticed uh, a reduction in your symptoms of the neuropathy and the brain fog and the low energy?
0: Absolutely, I mean, it still comes and goes, and I can tell when I'm eating poorly. This was Easter weekend here, yeah, I it just got Us through, I, yeah. had a lot of chocolate, had a lot of sugar, and uh, late night eating and mm-hmm. blood sugar levels were affected by that pretty significantly. So, I do notice that. Um, since I started this, my symptoms have gotten much better, almost no neuropathy now. Um, lack of energy and stuff like that, that still persists a little bit and it depends on what I'm eating, Mm -hmm. but, um, it's much better than it used to be. And I'm looking forward to being able to implement these things more often. Um, and I'm starting supplementation now Mm -hmm. and I'm hoping that I'm going to be able to, you know, uh, increase my, or, or reduce these symptoms even more.
1: Yeah, I think you will for sure. I think um, I really wanted to just highlight the importance of sticking with it. Like I love the practical approach that you're taking. It's really easy as a science nerd to like get too far in the weeds and confuse people. And so I, I love how simple you keep it. Um, so yeah, if you don't follow him, follow him on Instagram, please go do that if you're interested in CGMs or blood sugar regulation. My next one is a really practical question. How much is this costing you? Like are, are companies now just like giving you a CGM to use? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Good question. So when I first started this, I, I, you know, I purchased everything on my own and all the food that I eat. I mean, I have, uh, I have, I just shoot this on my cell phone in my kitchen here. So there's no expense with the production other than my time. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, the cost of a CGM is roughly about $300 a month. If you get um, longer terms with the CGM, that price goes down. Uh, so I I did pay for that, I think, for the first three months of my uh, – when I started the channel. But after that, I was approached by several different CGM companies, and I was offered an affiliate program.
1: Mm-hmm. I
0: chose the one that I liked the best, and now they pay for my CGM.
1: Yeah, well, that's nice. I'm really yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's nice. But, yeah, just for the average person – Um, I've heard of people who are pre-diabetic and can't get a CGM covered through insurance. Um, Where do you live, by the way? I don't know if our insurance- I'm in Toronto, Canada. Yeah. And the
0: regulations are a little different up here than they are in the States, but I have heard that there are some issues with it. My, my perspective on that is that, um, you know, the $300 that it costs for the one month to me even if i if I weren't getting if I weren't sponsored by these companies I would still be paying for that mm-hmm. simply because that information is very very valuable to me mm-hmm. and I always recommend to people if they're on the fence about getting a cgm uh, and they and they are concerned about blood sugar and their health uh, I would recommend like trying it for a month you know get a CGM for a month and record all of the foods and you, the good part about that is you get real-time data so this device this device here sends it transmits um your it it, i think it tests every three or five minutes your blood sugar levels and it transmits that to your cell phone on in an app and it shows it on a graph and that graph shows you exactly what's going on with your blood sugar so you're going to know right away which foods are problematic for you which foods are spiking and which ones aren't Um, and that's very valuable Uh, And I, I, I found that like, for me, pasta is really, really problematic for me. Mm -hmm. If I have plain pasta, even if I dress it with, you know, meat sauce and all that stuff, I are still really spike really, really high for that. So I've, I've learned to kind of minimize that in my diet a little bit or reduce that. So I think it's valuable for somebody who is concerned, even if they don't have, you know, health cover uh, insurance coverage on it. Yeah. I, I, I say to myself, you know, I would, I would pay for this if I, if I didn't have, if I had to, uh, the, the information is, is really valuable. And even if you get it for that one month period, that education is going to help you to make better choices in the future. So I think it's very, it's well worth it.
1: Yeah. I think a couple thoughts on that is experience is the best teacher and you are literally experiencing for a whole month, how different foods impact your blood sugar and then, It brings the, what would be long-term consequences of eating foods that spike your blood sugar to the present. So usually people are like, oh, I'll eat it now and I'll worry about it later. Well, you eat it now and you worry about it now because you see that instantaneous feedback. So it really brings the consequences to the present moment instead of the future. Mm -hmm. And that's one of my favorite, um, things about a continuous glucose monitor. Um, I think another, just kind of a couple questions, just for people that might be interested in getting one, is you know, does it hurt to apply? Mm. Like how long does it stay on? Just some of those practical questions. Yeah,
0: good questions. Uh, before I get into that, I wanted to mention what the most revealing, uh, what the most the most important bit of information that I got from my CGM is not only the types of foods that that trigger my or that spike my blood sugar but I learned that I shouldn't be eating before bedtime. If I eat before bed and there's any carbohydrate content in that meal, my blood sugar stays up until about six o'clock in the morning. It can quite very, very long. And I would have never known that without a CGM.
1: No. Because
0: you get all of that data overnight. You wake up in the morning and you can scroll back and see your, all of your activity through the night. And So I've really learned not to eat late at night. I usually allow three to four hours before I go to sleep after eating. And that has really made a huge difference. So that information alone was my game changer for me. So with regard to the sensor itself, um, this one here, there are two manufacturers of the hardware for CGMs. And one is the Dexcom and the other one is the Libre 2, I think is the name, the Libre company. I forget the name of the company. Both of these are really good. They're really good products. Their hardware is. There's two. There's only two companies that do it, and they're both pretty reliable. They're both pretty accurate. The one I have uh, is through a company called Signos, and they have licenses to use this hardware, and they apply their own software to it, and they they target specific audiences with that. But uh, these things are disposable. There's a sensor, and there's an applicator that comes with this. And you just kind of swab down, you clean the area, you're going to put them on. There's an applicator, you push a little button, and it, it it inserts the sensor under your skin. And it's monitoring, monitoring the interstitial fluid under your skin, and it's testing for blood sugar through that. And it's not painful at all. One of the concerns I had when I was looking at these things is what's going on here? Is there a needle that's left in my yeah. afterward? it is that painful i didn't want to move my my fear was am i going to be able to be active with this thing in my arm or is it going to be this sensation of something poking in my arm the whole time and the good news is it's not a needle what it is is very flexible little filament that moves with you so it's very very thin and it's very very flexible so it does still stay under the skin it's, there is something that is under the skin here, yeah. um, but it is not painful. It's a flexible little filament. So that's the good news. And this particular brand here lasts about 10 days. And then you swap it out. When you order these on a monthly basis, they'll give you a one month supply of sensors. Gotcha. And uh, it's very easy. It takes about two minutes to, uh, to install and it's quite painless. So I was concerned about all those things in the beginning too. I thought, is this going to hurt? And, uh, you know, is there a needle in there? huh. Yeah,
1: because yeah, um, I've still never used one. So of all these years, I'm a big advocate of them, but I've still never tried it. I just haven't had the desire to try it. I, I haven't felt right. like I had the need to try it, but I do want to try it sometime, just to make a piece of content, you know, my experience yeah. with whatever, CGN, Um so I love hearing from other people's experiences. Um, what you mentioned a big insight was having any carbohydrates before bed really led to a sustained elevated blood sugar overnight. And we know that insulin follows blood sugar. So that was really sustaining your insulin level overnight too. Um, And an important distinction before we move on, this is not measuring his insulin. This is only measuring his blood glucose. It's a continuous blood glucose monitor. Um, From my experience, they do not make continuous insulin monitors yet. Have you heard or spoken to anyone about the potential development of that?
0: No. um, I think it's a very difficult thing. It's even hard to get a regular fasting insulin blood test. And I know yeah. you are, you, yep. you guys are providing that there. And I think that's fantastic what you guys are doing with that. And I've got my test here. I'm, I'm going to send okay. it tomorrow. I'm looking forward to that. I think it's a little more complicated than the glucose is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that would be a, tr- a really good thing to have because this is the, this is what happens 10 or 20 years before the blood sugar starts to rise. And it would be nice to get to preempt this whole thing by having some form of monitor for insulin, but I don't see it on the horizon. I know that Apple is working on a CGM with the watch. Interesting. Non-invasive. It's supposed to be done with lasers or something where it tests your blood sugar. And there's been rumors that this is going to be released every year. Oh, it's going to be this year. They're going to have the glucose monitor this year. Uh, year. Uh, And from what I've read last on, on this is that they're they're still about five years away from it yeah. they're able to do that with the technology but to shrink it down into a watch and have this accurate within a certain amount of, within a certain margin is the big challenge so maybe in five years we'll have a non-invasive way to test your glucose all the time but for now uh the cgm is still the best bet
1: Yeah, because the alternative, just in case people really are new to this, the alternative is that you, you prick your finger. So they do have at-home glucometers, Mm -hmm. um, which is a blood glucose monitor. You have to prick it with a needle and then you have to kind of squeeze a drop of blood and then it's only a point in time. So with a continuous glucose monitor, like you said, you're getting it every three to five minutes and you don't have to stop what you're doing, prick your finger, which is a little, this is just a little painful, not bad. Um, and so it's so much more convenient if you want that data throughout the day to get the CDM. Um, so what would be some of your biggest insights um, aside from carbohydrates at night, really keep your blood sugar levels uh, elevated overnight? What are some other insights?
0: Uh, the quantity of food is probably the biggest factor.
1: Mm. Don't tell me food. that. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, you know, having one chocolate bar is bad enough, but if you have three chocolate bars, it's really bad. Um, the quantity of carbohydrates that you're eating is, is the biggest factor. Um, so now I try to eat a little more slowly and I try to allow myself to feel satiated instead of just wolfing down all this food and then feeling full and stopping when you feel stuffed and full, that's a problem, especially if you're eating a high carb meal. Um, I've also found that, you know, this is the common, all the common stuff that you know, uh, is true, but you just don't have any, you don't really have any proof for it. any of the refined carbohydrates like breads and, you know, sweet treats, they really are the problem. So I found that if I can try to reduce my intake of refined carbohydrates, refined foods in general, but particularly refined carbohydrates, that has, is going to have the biggest factor on my blood sugar management. So, um, stop all of the sweet treats that was my thing like you know or i can't stop them because if i stop them entirely i'll go on a binge at some point yeah so i do allow myself to fall off the wagon so to speak but i know now that there are things that i can do to help minimize a blood sugar spike if i am going to do that Mm -hmm. so those those are some of the things one of them is apple cider vinegar the acetic acid in the vinegar really helps to minimize a blood sugar spike. For me, it, it, it's about a 30% reduction in the blood sugar spike. And I'm continuing to test that stuff. Also eating fiber or uh, increasing your fiber intake has really been um, noticeable for me that I, I really see a reduction in the blood sugar spike if I eat high fiber before the meal. So there are supplements that you can take through that. Or what I'm experimenting with now is to include more above ground vegetables in my diet. So not the root vegetables that are higher in starch, but the vegetables that are higher in fiber and lower in starch, like cruciferous vegetables are a good example. Broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, Brussels sprouts, really, really great effect on my blood sugar. Uh, And they do a few things. They make you feel satiated. They make you feel full because of the bulk that is traveling through the digestive system. It really, really makes you feel satiated for a long time. And then it slows down the digestion process as well, too. So it'll help to minimize the blood sugar spike. And then over the long term of eating increasing your fiber, there is a there's a there's an increase in insulin sensitivity, which helps. So it really is beneficial to be eating more vegetables, low starch vegetables. So I'm trying to do that. And like we talked about, uh, sticking to this stuff is the is the hardest thing. You know, eating a chocolate bar is that highly engineered food. It's highly engineered to taste great and to affect your dopamine levels and all kinds of, there's all kinds of biochemistry going on, um, with, with your cravings. And it really triggers that it's much more difficult to enjoy cruciferous vegetables, the way you enjoy your favorite chocolate bar. So my goal is to, is to learn how to cook a little bit more. And include these vegetables in your diet um, and start with these vegetables. So uh, you're you're kind of providing that missing fiber content that you don't get through all these processed foods. You reintroduce them into your diet, and that really goes a long way in helping with your health and blood sugar levels. And there's a lot of there's a lot of data out there that suggests that. I mean, I think the verdict is out that uh, vegetables are really good for you in many regards.
1: Yeah, the verdict so, is out. <laughs>
0: yeah, so I mean getting them into your diet is the challenge. So I'm going to be experimenting with different recipes and ways to do that. I think batch cooking or making big batches of this stuff. If you cook vegetables twice a week, you can put them in the containers in your refrigerator, take them out and add them to your meals. Even if you are eating some uh, some carbohydrates that are processed and kind of junky or considered junky, just by adding these high fiber vegetables in or that's going to have a, a, a really good effect on you. So the goal is to try and increase that and decrease those refined carbohydrates.
1: Yeah. Um, quick note on veggies. Have you tried roasted broccoli yet with some olive oil and salt and pepper?
0: That's the key. So, so, so that's, that's kind of the basic way and I'm doing some today. The basic is, is olive oil, salt and pepper roasted in the oven. But now I want to experiment with different sauces that I can add on later. So you can have some versatility. If you make a big batch of, let's say, roasted broccoli, you put it in the refrigerator and now you can make different sauces that you can add to that just just to change it up a little bit. So it's not the same old, same old that you're eating every day. So that's coming up next. And the idea is to make not only um, tasty dressings, but, dressings that are actually good for you made with maybe apple cider vinegar and some extra virgin olive oil and some other spices and things to make it taste more palatable. That's the challenge.
1: Yeah. Well, those are, that's our favorite broccoli recipe. And we, we do some sweet potatoes with it as well. We'll dice up the sweet potatoes and mix all that in and everything bagel seasoning. I don't know if you know what that is. Uh, that's really good on top of it, it's and then good, sometimes yeah. we'll do some feta cheese and walnuts with the mm-hmm. roasted vegetables. is a nice combination. Yeah. Um, at the season in, in life that we're in, we don't mix it up a lot. <laughs> we just don't. we keep it pretty basic. We had taco yeah. night two nights in a row. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so my next question is with apple cider vinegar. I saw you do one tablespoon, then you immediately drink the glass of water then you immediately ate the pizza. Is that kind of your normal routine with the apple cider vinegar?
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I was going to experiment with timing on that. I'm going to be drinking it 15 minutes beforehand, but the test that I've done so far, it's been immediately after drinking the uh-huh. apple cider vinegar in water, I would take, I would eat the food. Um, yep. I'm going to be testing next, uh, next week um, apple cider vinegar pills and apple cider vinegar gummies as well too. a lot of requests for that
1: yes it's
0: hard sometimes to drink that let's say you've got a great meal coming and you you know it's coming and now you've got to choke down a glass of apple cider vinegar water beforehand it's not the best tasting thing so i'm going to look at recipes for that to make different cocktails that will make it a little more uh interesting to drink but yeah um and alternatives like pills or tablets or something like that. So that's up, That's coming up next as well, too.
1: I'm really excited for that. Um, a lot of those gummies have added sugar. So it's kind of interesting. You're, they do. You're eating the gummy with apple cider vinegar to reduce your blood sugar response, but there's added sugar in the gummies. So how is this going to balance out? I can't wait to see that one.
0: And the acetic acid level is quite low in them. Mm-hmm. From what I've been reading, you, you'd have to eat like half a bottle or half a jar of these gummies to get the same effect.
1: Love it. Same
0: amount of acetic acid that you would get in one tablespoon of regular apple cider vinegar. So that test is coming up. Um, and I'm I'm curious about that as well.
1: Yeah, the tablets are interesting, too. They don't have sugar, but how much acetic acid is in it. And um, when I was looking into you, like for the first time, my husband and I were going on a date night and I knew it was going to be a higher carb meal. So I put a tablespoon of apple cider vinegar in my water bottle, and I drank it on the way there. And so I think that's why I think your content is so great is because it's just those little daily reminders that like the little things do add up, or like you said, eating the vegetables before you ate. So there's actually a lot of research that supports that, you know, eating the fiber, eating the non-starchy vegetables before you eat will reduce the blood glucose response. But then you hear some people say, oh, I heard you should eat like the protein and the fat and then the fiber and then the starch or the sugar. So have you done any experimentation around food order like that?
0: I'm going to see the regular, from what I've been reading, the, the sequence is fiber, proteins, fats, and then your simple carbs. Be- yeah. Yeah. So I've done most of my tests that way so far, but I am going to test certain things. For example, I'll eat like whatever my um, baseline uh, reading is going to be like, uh, I've got Snickers bars that are coming up. So I go to the store and I buy three Snickers bars and I say, okay, I'm going to test. The first one is going to give me my benchmark. The next day I'm going to do apple cider vinegar. uh, And then the next day I'm going to do apple cider vinegar capsules. Mm. Uh, but uh what I'm sorry, what was the question again? I don't know. I drifted. Um
1: the food order. So like yeah, have so you tried, yeah, the fiber second instead of first in the meal.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna test like let's say example for an example, I, I'll have the the bar, the chocolate bar, and then I'll have some protein before it, and then I'll have just fiber before it, and then I'll have, you know, fats before it and we'll see what is happening with that. That'll give me a better indication of what order. Yeah. Uh, to do things in but uh so far i've done fiber and from, from what i've been reading what's what's happening is is when you eat that fiber first it enters into your colon your small intestine rather uh, uh, faster sooner and it kind of coats that colon or, or your uh, small intestine there and it helps to let those carbohydrates pass through mm. uh, uh, a little more slowly uh so that makes sense, but I'll I'll be testing the other stuff out as well. The other yeah,
1: the tests are endless. Um, another one I would love to see you do is sleep deprivation. Um, I've done
0: it. I've done what,
1: it. What have you seen with that? Uh,
0: higher fasting insulin. Your baseline the next or day.
1: Glucose, you higher. mean. Higher. Yeah. What's that? Okay. You meant, You said insulin, but just to clarify, sorry, gl- 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 yeah, glucose. Yeah. Sorry. Yep. Yeah.
0: Higher fasting glucose levels, and it's noticeable it really is and the following day your your response to any sugar is a lot worse it's a little it's it you're going to get a higher spike with sleep deprivation than you would if you had had a good night's sleep that's been totally. my experience and i and i do suffer from insomnia from time to time so totally. it's it's quite noticeable uh when uh, my my baseline can go up 10 points from having a bad night's sleep
1: yeah and that's just the baseline so from, from what you've researched, I know there's different things in the literature on official recommendations for like, what is considered a good post-meal blood glucose response. Um, I think officially it's like, a you know, less than 142 hours after a meal. And then if you follow levels health, um, they recommend like 110 to 115, like any time after you eat, which is a pretty tight, like optimal level. Um, so very minimal blood sugar spike at all. What are you, what do you like personally? What do you think about those post meal blood glucose recommendations?
0: I mean, wherever you are, or whatever stage you're at or whatever, um, level of health you're at metabolically is going to determine, you know, what, what's good for you and what's not. I'm not at that. I'm probably a little bit worse than the, than the standards you mentioned uh-huh, I stay elevated for a little bit longer than that, yep. especially if I eat at night, like I can be spiking or out of range over one twenty um for most of the night until about six in the morning and then it starts to come down if I eat carbs in the evening, so yeah, I mean that's good if you're metabolically healthy, but I found most people you know wherever you're at the name of the game is to improve that, bring your a one c down and all that stuff so um. Yeah, I've been pretty consistent since I started and I am still testing a lot of sugary stuff. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious to see what my insulin sensitivity I know,
1: is. Me too. So I'm
0: really excited to have that test done that you sent over. That's really, um, that's really exciting.
1: And we don't get those results. So you, I would love to hear from you to shoot me an email. Let me know what they are, but yeah. I always like one of our members um, recently, I think her last A1C was Certainly less than 5.5. I thought it was maybe 5.2, but it was no higher than 5.5. And she was taking a thousand milligrams of metformin a day. And I said, for people that don't know, metformin is a medication that helps lower blood sugar levels. And I said, why are you on a thousand milligrams of metformin if your A1C is so well controlled? And she was like, "Hmm, great question. Maybe I can start reducing this medication. Mm -hmm. Um, And so her A1C and her blood glucose were in the healthy ranges, but her insulin was significantly elevated Um, and her doctor was resistant to testing that a little bit. And many physicians are, and I'm not quite sure why, aside from maybe the follow-up conversation might not be in their wheelhouse. Why is my insulin elevated? What can I do about this? And so if it's not in their wheelhouse, they may dismiss it or may not want to start that conversation. If that's not a conversation they're comfortable seeing to the end. Mm -hmm. Um, but for anyone listening, you know, even if your last a one C was okay, even if your last glucose was okay, that doesn't mean that your insulin is okay. Like, you know, Justin is doing amazing work, but it's still a downstream effect as he mentioned by 10 to 20 years. Mm -hmm. So we are, we have this episode to like bring awareness to blood sugar and try to help prevent type two diabetes. But a really important thing to do is know your insulin level. Yeah. Um we'll link to our testing, but you don't have to use ours. You can go to like walkinlab.com or testing.com and order one and go into a lab and get it. Um really easy. So I think it's a super important thing to talk about, but I also think people greatly underestimate the amount that sleep deprivation and stress contributes to blood sugar dysregulation and weight gain because if your blood sugars are up, your insulin is up and that will increase your body set weight. So I was just curious also, thank you for sharing that experience on sleep. What about your stress levels? Like ha- I know that might be a little bit harder, but
0: Big time. well, I actually have some tests on there that, yeah. that I was able to do that. I was, <laughs> if I can recall what happened, I had an appointment. I had several appointments in the afternoon. And I live downtown Toronto, so traffic can get quite heavy. And I hadn't eaten yet. So I was past my 16 hour fast. I was very hungry and I was late for the first meeting. So I couldn't have dinner or I couldn't have any food. And I was getting a little hangry, you know, I, yeah. was, I was getting aggravated because I was too hungry. Uh, traffic was bad. I was stuck in traffic, made it to the first meeting late. The second meeting now was going to be late too. And I'm on my way to the second meeting. I got a phone call from uh, tech support for my computer. And I had been waiting for this call for three days. And it was my opportunity to resolve the issue. And I was stuck in traffic in my car, didn't have my computer, so I couldn't do anything. So I was I was upset and I could feel the tension mounting. So after that call no, I think what happened, the sequence was I stopped after my first meeting and I and I got a roast beef sandwich and I ate that. And then all of the other stresses started coming in and the call and late for the second appointment and all that stuff. And when I got home, I looked at my CGM and I realized, wow, this really shot my blood sugar up and it stayed up for a lot longer than it did before, would, than it would have before had I had this simple roast beef sandwich and I realized it was the stress. So I was still spiking when I got home. And this was like four hours after I'd eaten the sandwich. Wow. And I went out for a walk and just started breathing, like deep breathing and letting go of the stress and saying, okay, you made it to your appointments, all is well it ends well. Grounded myself, went for a walk, blood sugar came down very, very nice. And walking is a huge part of it as well, too. Any moderate activity, if you're spiking already, I found is to be, that's the best way to bring a, a spike down is to, is to go for a, a walk. That's so, awesome. yeah, definitely stress um, has a big impact, more than I thought it would have.
1: Mm-hmm. It
0: has a big impact on how your body processes those carbohydrates.
1: Totally. I think a lot of our audience, too, are just kind of busy women. And, like, we wear a lot of hats. We juggle not. Not saying men don't, but like we juggle a lot of different things with our family and work and maybe caring for aging parents. And like, I'm eating healthy. I'm eating healthy. I'm not losing weight. I'm trying intermittent fasting. And it's like, are you sleeping? Are you really trying to reduce your stress? And I think this is such great. I know it's like an N of one, but it's in the research too, all over the place. Managing your stress and focusing on sleep are two really important aspects to blood sugar regulation i.e. insulin regulation, i.e. weight management. So thank you for just putting this out there in the world. I think it's so cool. It's so creative, very unique. Um, Are there any other insights or big takeaways that you wanted to share today?
0: Yeah. So we, we were talking about this earlier that, you know, it's kind of puzzling to me why, and it's like this in Canada too, like doctors aren't testing for your insulin levels. They're not testing fasting insulin. And I often wondered about that. If this is a, if this is the the foundation of this metabolic, these metabolic issues, why aren't we addressing it? Um, and when I go to my doctor here and we have, you know, a pretty a good healthcare system here in Canada. Um, and I've often asked for, can I get a flas- a fasting insulin test? Uh, we don't normally do these. There's not really much. We just go by the A1C. And I said, okay, you know, you just kind of give in and say, okay. Um, And then I was speaking with some other people and I had cut some documentaries before. I'm an editor, um, uh, video editor, and I've done a lot of stuff for documentaries and stuff. And I remember there were doctors who were talking about, um, their postgraduate education Normally, mostly is provided by drug companies. So after you go through med school, um, about 80%, and you can tell me if this is, I don't accurate. know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So, there, so if 80% of the postgraduate education is being provided by drug companies and the drug companies really don't have any answer for elevated insulin levels and all of their products that they do, all of their drugs are geared toward blood sugar management or blood sugar, reducing that blood sugar and stabilizing the blood sugar. They're not going to push to doctors to test the cause. They just want to be able to treat what is already there. So that may be a part of the reason why you don't see these fasting insulin levels being tested as much as I think they should be. Um, because if this is the cause of everything, you know, it makes you wonder why the why this isn't being addressed more. And it may be because this is the way the system is set up, and that's largely. Um, A large part of that is because of the treatment that's available to these drug companies. Mm -hmm. Uh, The doctor doctor has a very difficult time to change a patient's way of being or their lifestyle. It's very difficult for somebody to create change in their life. And for a doctor to tell their patients, okay, just stop eating all of this sugar and do this, this, and this, lifestyle changes, their rate of success is going to be much lower than it would be if they can bring that sugar level down by giving medication. So mm -hmm. they go with the easy route they'll recommend say, Hey, yeah, you can do this if you can. But the the surefire way for them to get the results that they're looking for is just to load up on medications. Yeah. So if there's no treatment for high insulin, they're not even going to address it.
1: Yeah. And awesome. like, if you lower your blood sugar, I guess they might say, well, if you're lowering your blood sugar, you're lowering your blood insulin but yeah, there's still just that huge gap in preventative care, both in Canada here. That's why we're doing what we're doing because we don't want to get diabetes. We don't want to, we don't want our loved ones to get it. We don't want random people online to get it. So it's like, please, please pay attention to what we're saying because, um, it's real, you know, and people, I just got a text from a good friend. Um, the priest, uh, like we went to college in Lincoln and, and one of the fathers, um, has diabetes and he just had to have his foot amputated and he was, he had sepsis and he was in the ICU. And so she was asking for prayers and it's like being out of clinical practice now, um, in traditional geriatric physical therapy, I have become more sensitive to those things, more sensitive to dang, like that really stinks. That really is cramping his quality of life. That's impairing what he can do with his vocation. He can't show up for his parishioners in the way I know he wants to, but then also like in traditional PT. And I think in medicine too, we become jaded. Like you see amputation after amputation, you see a ton of neuropathy, you see a lot of dementia, you see, um, just very poorly controlled diabetes so much that you become desensitized to it. And it's like, so I think medicine in general has become desensitized to what a healthy person actually looks like and the joy of having a healthy body and having a good quality of life. And so I think part of it too, is just regaining that sensitivity to what is optimal health, what's possible with optimal health, And actually, it's not that complicated to get there. Like you said, behavior change isn't easy, but most people know, at least in part, what they need to do, and they still struggle to do even that, even that that they know. But I still think physicians should test, and I still think that, um, you know prevention before prescription. And I would love to see more of them at least prescribing lifestyle changes at the rate that they're prescribing medications. Um, but the business model just isn't set up like that. It's not like, okay, like come back in two weeks and we can talk about how that's going. It's like, Oh, see you in six months or see you in a year. So, um, yeah, I just think that this patient empowerment, patient self-advocacy, just like you're doing is so important. Um, Anything else you wanted to add? I think you were spot on on that.
0: Yeah, I think what we were just talking about there is like, you know, a lot of people are statistically, according to the CDC, uh, anybody who's over the age of 18 in the United States, 40% of those people are pre-diabetic. So and and eight out of 10 of those people are unaware of that. They've never been told that they're pre-diabetic. And if you're in pre-diabetic, pre-diabetic state, it's usually only a matter of time before you creep into type two diabetes. And like my mom, who's now 77, I think she was diagnosed four or five years ago, she went to the doctor and the doctor said, Oh, by the way, you're type 2 diabetic. Your A1C is over this level and now you're in type 2 diabetic status. And for a lot of people, they're blindsided by that. And they think, Wow, I wish I would have known before this what, that, that I could start preventing this. A lot of people that I talk to um, say, well, I wish I would have known that blood sugar management was, a, was, a, was a, even a, an idea. Yeah. Um, and that's what the CGM does, is it brings awareness to this whole thing. Um, and, you know, you, you talk about people that have, that have amputations and all these complications, blindness, as well yeah. as the leading cause of blindness, is type 2, diabetes, type 2 diabetes, that significantly reduces your quality of life. But what I found, like, you know, I, I think I caught it early with the symptoms that I had, you know, some neuropathy and a lack of energy, brain fog. What I realized is that, you know, with a a huge cost to having this, this issue of of metabolic, these metabolic issues is your output is how productive are you in a day? And, And you don't often look at this because usually this stuff creeps into your life and you just realize. Oh, I'm getting older now, and my energy levels are decreasing, but nobody really questions it and you know you just think it's a natural part of life, and it is you know you're not going to be as energetic at twenty as you are when you're fifty. that's just the way it goes. However, there's a lot you can do to to keep your energy up and eating processed carbohydrates and the amounts that we do is not helping that in any way so you know, for people to get a grip on this even before they start to see symptoms is very important. And I think that that is a big reason why I do this channel. And a lot of people who follow me don't have diabetes or they're, they're not even pre-diabetic. But uh, to raise the awareness that this stuff happens decades before your doctor tells you you have type 2. And I think it's important to raise that awareness. And, you know, for a lot of people, it's like, well, you know, what? I like my candy bars and I don't want to change my quality of life. And, and I get it. I love to eat chocolate and I still have my sweet tooth. It hasn't gone away. Yeah. But to, to become aware of the cost and the impact that this lifestyle has on your, on your life, not only currently, but in the future. When you become aware of that cost and impact you realize hey it might be worth doing something to regain my energy to regain my clarity to regain my sense of health and that energy is so invaluable once you start to lose it once it starts this diminishing slide downward into being just tired all the time um it's really worth it to do something and it, it, the, the good news is that there are a lot of hacks that you can do and you can s- start to learn to enjoy the good foods a little bit more and reduce those bad foods, or those processed foods. There's a lot you can do and the, the benefit um, is significant and you can really make some improvements in your life. I think for a lot of people, they don't think about improving their life. They just want to stay out of danger. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think you have to approach it in that regard. It's not only that you're, we're trying to ward off type two diabetes, but here's what you can have. Here's what you can have as a positive as well. It's not just, here's what I'm trying to avoid, but I'm moving towards something that is an improvement in my health, a better way of being a better lifestyle, a more energetic, happier way of being is, is the carrot. Um, Yeah that draws you towards managing your, your health and your metabolic health. So for me, I'm trying to explore what those are and bring those top of mind to people, you know, Hey, this is what you can get out of it. It's never too late to start improving.
1: It never is. Yeah. And I was just kind of curious from your own, you know, you're more productive, hopefully at work. What else are you able to do? Or are you looking forward to doing with the more, with more energy?
0: Yeah. I mean, that's just it. It, it, your potential in life is limited by your ability to act on those potentials, right? So you, you if you have the energy to do things to execute on your goals, it, that's the majority of the battle. When you feel like you're tired, and it's difficult for you to process um, any, any questions or challenges that you have in the day, you're much more likely to give up and not move forward and achieve your goals. If you're energetic, you feel good, you're clear, you you have clarity, um, you're much more likely to pursue the things that will help to improve your life in every aspect of your life. So there's a lot to gain by tidying up your diet and doing these things. And there's a heck of a lot to lose by ignoring it. Yeah. And, you know, for people that, you know, I, 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 I realize that a lot of people have complete faith in the systems that are around them. We, we trust the big food industries. We trust the big pharma. We trust our medical systems and our doctors. And yeah, for the most part, a lot of the work that they're doing is great work, but I found that people who just put all their faith in these systems and they say, you know what, I'm going to eat whatever I want to eat. And my doctor is going to give me a prescription that's going to keep me in check. And I trust that this is the way it goes. And this is normal. I found that the people who go on medications, and they write to me a lot, go on the medications. And they don't do any changes. They don't make any changes to their diet or lifestyle. It's usually just a matter of time before, because they're not addressing the cause of this issue. They're just masking it with these drugs. It's usually only a matter of time before they have to increase the amount of drugs that they're taking to have the same effect or introduce new drugs and then possibly even insulin injections. It's just a matter of time before that happens. So the success rate of um, putting type 2 diabetes into remission through conventional medicine is very, very low. Right. But the success rate of doing that through lifestyle changes is very, very high. I think it's about 60% of people or more can get, can reduce their A1C. They can get off medications if they're able to stick with these lifestyle changes. So the efficacy of lifestyle changes is, is for me is, is a much better route than getting on medications and ignoring the cause of this stuff. So, but I do realize as well too, that it's difficult to stick with this. If it wasn't, then all doctors would just say, Stop eating refined carbohydrates <laughs> and increase, increase yeah. your vegetable content, and we would all be fixed and it wouldn't be a problem. But that's not the case. But the idea that I have is that if we can keep this top of mind and constantly remind ourselves to pursue better choices and to increase the amount of fiber and decrease, not eliminate. Okay, now I'm, you can't go into this and say, okay, I'm only going to eat lean meats right. and vegetables from now on. That's kind of a recipe for failure you know but if we can slowly ramp up that fiber intake and slowly ramp down the carbohydrate intake or the refined carb intake and do all these other things you can improve you, and can. you can do that with uh, without dramatically changing your life and that's the good news you can do a little bit with a big payoff
1: I love that okay I have two thoughts first you should definitely trademark whatever you just said about your potential is determined by your ability to act on that potential. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's original, but I'm probably going to use it in the future and give you credit. Is that original? <laughs> I don't know I don't if
0: it know. makes any sense, but yeah. I mean, you know, when you think of it, like it, if you want to go to the gym and you're feeling lethargic and tired, your chances totally. of getting to the gym are low.
1: Totally. Yeah, if you want to
0: start a side business and you're drained at the end of the day and you just want to lie down and watch TV and, and just relax instead and you don't have that energy how does that affect every aspect of your life how does that affect your relationships when you don't have the energy to uh, give attention to the other person you know your mood what's your mood like what's your energy level like how is your clarity how are you able to solve problems all of this is affected by your diet and your blood sugar and all of this stuff so
1: lifestyle. Yeah.
0: It's, it's a, it, it's having a huge effect on our individual productivity.
1: Yep. Um, the other thing that I wanted to say about it, not being too late is just a story. And this was when I was in geriatric physical therapy doing home care and this guy was in his seventies probably. And I was reviewing his past medical history before the visit and I saw that he was a type two diabetic. That he had a history of multiple amputations. Like, um, I think that he had a maybe like one of his feet was amputated at least half of the foot, and then on the other foot, a couple of toes were amputated. Um, and if people don't know, diabetes, um, high blood sugars really impairs your ability to heal from wounds, and so it also causes neuropathy. So you might have a cut on your skin, and you might not catch it very soon. So that increases the risk for infection and reduces the, the rate of healing. So amputations are very common. And I went in and I was like, okay, we have to do a medication review because we always do. Where are your diabetes medications? Where's your metformin? Where's your tulicity? Where's, you know, all of these, where's your insulin? And he's like, oh, I got off all of them. And I was like, what? You're in your seventies. You have a history of multiple amputations and you got off your medications. And he said, yeah, they said they were going to take my other foot off. And I said, enough is enough. And so I changed my diet to save my ability to do a stand pivot transfer with a walker. That was his level of mobility. He was in a wheelchair, but he was so determined to maintain his ability to stand, even if only for a few seconds that he cleaned up his diet. And he completely reversed his diabetes, even after being insulin dependent. So it is not ever too late. Yeah. You can do it. Yeah.
0: I get hundreds of people sending me their results just by following simple changes and simple hacks like apple cider vinegar before you eat a high carb meal, mm-hmm. food order, cutting back on all this stuff. Um, couples they're able to do it together. I, I had a couple of sent me pictures like last week, and there were okay. they. Uh, they lost about fifty or sixty pounds each. They've gotten off their medications. A one C's have gone down from like nines and tens to like you know high or mid to low sixes. It's like phenomenal phenomenal results if you can put your mind to it and do it. Unfortunately, it takes people sometimes to be scared to have an amputation or to have a serious uh, consequence presented to them before they're shaken enough. And they wake up and say, "Okay, no more. I don't want to lose anything like this. I don't want to lose my sight, my my feet, my hands, whatever." That is a big, severe wake-up call. Um, and but, like like you said, it's never too late. It's never too late to start improving. And I think the biggest issue here is is this modern diet. You know, food and food industries are, are are manufacturing foods that are, number one, profitable, and number two, easy to distribute, and shelf-stable. So, it, you know, if, uh, something that lasts on a shelf for two weeks is not as profitable as something that lasts on a shelf for for two years. So, processed food is has a, a long shelf life, and it's flavorful, and people will eat this, um, over and over and over again, because it has these you know, addictive qualities, the level of, of, of joy and pleasure that you get and dopamine responses from eating these highly processed foods, it's hard to shake them. So we're in an environment where the cards are kind of stacked against us because you know, when, when these companies are doing their research and development, they, they're, they're engineering this food And they're engineering that food they it's you know back in the 40s and 50s they used to have a panel of people and they would bring in these people and they'd have chefs make their 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 recipes and they'd have four or five different plates in front of people and they'd say which one do you like best and people would vote on this and they'd give their opinion on it And that was one way for them to develop their recipes and, and make it palatable and make it good now they're hooking people up to brain scans right and we're going to see which of these flavors is creating the biggest dopamine spike in you and they're using high-tech science to figure out what is the most addictive way to process this food and make it irresistible to the consumer and that's what we're up against we're up against the science of food the food science and that's a very difficult thing to shake and to be aware of the consequences of eating that food the long term consequences is one way we can fight against it we need to kind of scare ourselves about it yeah. because not scaring ourselves doesn't is not working
1: no it's not
0: <laughs> it's not working we need to be aware of what's going on and 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 i think that it's a worthwhile endeavor to to start managing your blood sugar early in the game
1: yeah and you are just putting out awesome content, I have told many people about you. And um, can you let them know how they can find you on Instagram, or if you're on any other platforms? Yeah,
0: all so I'm on I'm on Instagram, Facebook, uh, and TikTok. I'm also going to start posting my stuff on YouTube. uh, And it's all under insulin resistant one. And uh, I'm there and I post usually about five times a week, I'm testing different foods, I'm testing different things that come up, with regard to blood sugar management i'm i'm going to be doing soleus push-ups soon or you know, <laughs> it, just different things that come out that like are you know the latest research and development on blood sugar management and all that stuff so i try to i try to keep uh, aware of all of this stuff and pass that information
1: on that'd be awesome well thank you so much for your time i think your message is amazing i think you're great i really appreciate it today thanks
0: thank you thank you for having me it's my pleasure
1: Thanks for listening to the reshape your health podcast today to learn more about Zivly, our online course and coaching program to reverse insulin resistance for long-term weight loss and disease prevention. Check out our website at www.zivly.com. that's z-i-v-l-i.com. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a rating and review on your listening platform and share it with a friend. I'll talk with you at the same time, same place next week. Bye for now.